Well, good morning. I'm going to add some greetings from Pastor Scott to those that Diana has already brought. I had a nice little texting session with him this morning, which of course was well into the afternoon in the Congo where he is today. it was, it's been thrilling to hear him have all these experiences and share them with me. Um, like, yeah, did you know they do this? And did you see, hear about that? And do you know this person? And it's been really fun to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to say thank you again for this opportunity. Um, going to Congo is just an extraordinary experience. And I know Scott will come back deeply marked and moved by it. Um, it's a place that is very, very limited in terms of material resources and incredibly wealthy in terms of spiritual resources and relational resources. So you can count on him coming back uh, filled up. Plus, it's just a crazy thing to go somewhere in a part of the world where everywhere you go, you are a total celebrity and thousands of people come out to welcome you. And, of course, they're mostly there to celebrate Gary. Uh, Gary Walter, our president of the denomination, is this is kind of a farewell tour for him. So they're rolling out the red carpet. But Scott is having a very powerful experience, and I just want to extend my gratitude to you as a congregation that he is able to do this. What we are doing in Gemini through World Vision is just extraordinary, and I know he will have many stories to tell. Tomorrow he gets to visit Justine, our sponsored child, and he's going to bring that huge stack of goodies that you all so kindly uh, brought. It all fit into the trunk, but was a little uh, touch and go there for a while, so thank you again for your kindness to your sponsored children. They really know that real people in the United States care about them, and pray for them. Think about that. It is extraordinary. So thank you for that. So I'm really not here to do that this morning, but rather to introduce our guest preacher, Paul Denai, and his delightful wife, Gretchen. Paul and Gretchen are colleagues of mine at Covenant Offices, which is really great because Paul sort of has a dual role with the, I'm going to get it wrong, Center for World Christian Studies. Oh, good, Yami. And he's also a professor of missiology at North Park Seminary. But the thing you need to know about Paul and Gretchen is first that they had an amazing uh, run as missionaries in Thailand, 18 years, 17 years, 18 years, as missionaries in Thailand doing um, very powerful ministry and supporting uh, indigenous folks there as they got launched into ministry and a lot of other things. But since they've been back here stateside, uh, Paul has been a very strong guiding hand to students at the seminary. Everyone at the seminary these days has to have some kind of intercultural, has to have an intercultural competency. Students are tested for their intercultural competency and uh, asked to create plans then to strengthen their intercultural competency where it is weak. And so Paul helps with that, but more than that, he is a guiding hand, a dear friend, a wise counselor, a gracious and godly presence uh, wherever he goes. And he's been a wonderful friend to many, many, including me. So, Paul, uh, Neighborville Covenant, we would like to extend a welcome as you come and give us the word. Come on. Uh, I was telling Kayla that I was here probably uh, 30 years ago when they were doing construction, when Naperville hired us at the extraordinary rate of $10 an hour to do painting. So thank you for having me back. 
that was double the wages in those days, so that was really special. Uh, but I really want to thank you more than that, that you are supporting the ministry of the Center for World Christian Studies, and I'll share a little bit about that. But we are still in the season of Easter. So at the season of Easter, we say that Christ is risen, and you say? Amen. Amen. We are going to celebrate that Easter season now until we go into Pentecost. And this is a very special time for each one of us. That this cross stands empty for a reason, right? And there's an empty grave. The power of death is broken. And we celebrate that. My work at the Center for World Christian Studies, I summarize it by saying that we want to uh, bring the world to North Park and take North Park to the world. You know, places like the Congo, where 85% of the people are in church on Sunday morning, have something to teach us, don't they? 85% of the people will be in some kind of worship, Christian worship, in the Congo. And we are partnering with a church like that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Pastor Scott comes back and makes you all dance. (laughs) Not the tradition I grew up in, but I'll tell you, when we moved to Thailand, uh, I found out that the Spirit keeps on moving in ways that I don't understand. And when the grandmother in Thailand says this to you during worship, that means you get up and you start praising the Lord in the movements of Thai culture. And uh, my father, the great godly man that he was. We knew that, ba- that dancing must have been one of those sins, so we never did that. He said, why do they do that over there? And I said, they're just praising the Lord in a way that speaks to their heart. I learned to play an instrument in Thailand because I noticed that they didn't make the band go up and dance, uh, <laughs> but I could still worship and be a part of that, and that was very important to be a part of the culture. And now I have the opportunity as a professor of mission to take students around the world. So I've had two classes in Congo with our sister school, the Protestant University of of the Ubangi, where during the Civil War, a university was started there by the Covenant Church of Congo, and their school of theology has 75 students. Uh, And we study together in French, and our students live together, and they walk, some of them, an hour and a half to school each way. And I'll tell you, I've never been in a place that is so hungry for theological education as the Congo. When the sun comes up, they want to study, and they study until 5.30, rushing home because at 6, it's dark. No electricity, no bathrooms, but they want to study. And it is a beautiful, beautiful experience. And that's what you are helping support as I take students around the world to experience God's work in other places, but also bringing scholars from around the world to us here in the United States. And those of you who can come to the annual meeting this year, it'll be a very special gathering. President Boca from Congo will be there, and leaders from around the world in our sister churches will be with us. Let's just pray uh, a prayer together as we begin. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Your word is open in front of us now. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to protect uh, Pastor Scott and Gary, and Al, and Mark, and Deb, and all who are on that trip right now, that you would keep them free from all illness, and all um, danger, and open their hearts in new ways to see you in ways that transform them, and bring a message of hope wherever they go. We pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, since I'm the professor of mission, you won't mind if I go till 55 minutes, something like that? (laughs) 
That's, that's okay with you. Or at least give me a couple of Greek words. Is that okay? All right. Um, if you have a text, I'd love for you to open up to John chapter 20. I want to look at this passage together with you. You can do it on your uh, electronic version or the paper version. Uh, but this passage, is it just speaks to my heart as a professor of mission. The Gospel of John is one of the major themes that the word mission itself comes from. So the major theme in the Gospel of John that the word mission comes from, is anyone familiar what that word might be? It's over 60 times in the Gospel of John. Actually, I hope it doesn't destroy your whole theology, but the word mission is not even in the Bible. It comes from a Latin translation of the, of the, uh, of the scriptures. And the theme of John is what? Life. Believing is a major theme, but there's a word that shows up more than believing. So if there's a nutshell version of the gospel, it has that verb in it. Pardon? Lord is everywhere. It's a verb. The nutshell verse of the Bible would be what? John 3.16, some of us familiar with that one? Okay, what's, what's, the, what's the verb in that verse? I hear it. Send, send. The verb, materi, the, the form of the verb to send is found over 60 times in the Gospel of John. The theme of sending. So when that verb was translated... Into Latin, the verb mitere, or missio, is to send. And from that word missio, we get the verb to send. That's where mission comes from. It is the sending of God. God sent himself in the garden as the first missionary to lost and hiding people. Remember that? The first question that God asks in the Bible, where are you? People that did not want God, hiding as far as they could from God, God walks into that. That's God the missionary, modeling the mission of God, sending himself. And then later in John, we hear God sent his, his son, right? And God, in the form of Jesus Christ, incarnate God, said he was always doing the work of the one who sent me. Sending is a major theme throughout we're all familiar with Matthew's great commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. But today we're going to look at John's version of the great commission. So if you'll look with me in chapter 20, and you know the context of this. Mary Magdalene has just had the encounter with someone she thought was the gardener, right? And Jesus reveals himself to her and says, don't just cling to me. Go and tell the good news. She's the first one sent by God as the missionary to tell to an unbelieving group of men. And in verse 19, we're going to start. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands, his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So it's Easter evening. Sunday night, they're afraid. They've heard rumors. It's hard to believe. 
They're locked into a room because they're afraid that they're going to be caught. And in the middle of this time of fear and doubt and tragedy and darkness, Jesus comes and stands right where they can all see him. Not over in the corner, but among them, right there in the middle. And they are shocked. According to the book of Luke's version of this, they're scared. They think he's a ghost, right? And it would scare me. Would it scare you? Somebody appears in the middle of a locked room? Yes. They're convinced he's a ghost. And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. Peace. Shalom. They still think he's a ghost. And he says, come and touch my wounds. They're still not sure he's really flesh and blood or not. So what does he ask for? Do you have something to eat? Ghosts don't eat. So he eats some broiled fish, proving that he is a resurrected body. So here he is in the midst of their group, and then they are rejoicing. It says in our passage here, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and finally the disciples are convinced it's really him. They're overjoyed. And again, Jesus has to repeat the word, peace be with you, and here is John's commissioning verse. John twenty twenty one, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Here's the commissioning right there of the Gospel of John. And what did the Father send the Son to do? To die. This is the invitation of Jesus to follow me into this path of rejection to where people don't want us. This is the invitation of the Christ follower. Take up my cross. And then he's not done. He says something else in verse 22. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You know, the Gospel of John has some very messy mission strategy, unsanitary missiology, I'll call it. Jesus writes in the dirt. Without hand sanitizer, he touches contagious people, and he lets them touch him. He even spits on people, okay? And we don't teach this in the seminary as mission strategy. But here is probably one of the worst things to do is to breathe with fish breath on everybody. But Jesus is not afraid to be wholly human. When did God breathe? Does this remind you of something? A new creation is happening. This is a new breath of God. The breath of life. This is a powerful image. And I want that breath of God on me every day. Do you? Breathe on me breath of life. Fill me with life new. I need it right now. And if it smells like fish, Lord, bring it on. Because I know you're fully human. This is a prophecy verse. This is a promise. And at Pentecost, this will happen. The disciples will receive this wonderful power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23 is scary in this commission. 
It's so radical. Can it really be true? If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Can you believe it? That we could be the agents of reconciliation through the power of God to forgive other people? Nobody will be forgiven if they don't want to be. God's not going to take anybody kicking and screaming into heaven. If they refuse to be forgiven, they won't be forgiven. But there's a word here that says, you can be my agents of forgiveness. Is there anybody in your mind that comes to mind right now that you don't want to forgive? It's not easy because we all have people that have hurt us. And we don't want to forgive them. And Jesus is commissioning this team. It's your chance now. And think about what just happened to the crucified one. And what were some of his last words? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a model. Now we're going to go on and look at the figure that I think is one of the most maligned, uh, gets a bad rap. Poor Thomas. Thomas, verse 24 Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. And the other disciples told them, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas's name in Aramaic, Toma, means twin. And here it's translated, Didymus. He's a twin. Everywhere he's mentioned in the Gospel of John, he's mentioned as Thomas the twin. Thomas the twin. We don't know who his twin was. But maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe we can relate to this man. You know, his other mentions in the Gospel of John, he wants information. He wants clarity. He's not one of the other apostles who talks without thinking. I imagine that when Thomas spoke, people listened to him. Some of you might be familiar with a personality test called the Enneagram. Anybody heard of that? It's a spiritual tool that's gone back several centuries on different personalities. And according to some studies, some people would say that Thomas is a five on the Enneagram, a thinker, a reflector, or what they might say, a preflector, thinking things through before they happen. He wants that information. But once he has the information, he moves with commitment. So it's been a week that goes by. Verse 26. A week later. This is why this text always appears the Sunday after Easter, right? A week later, the men are back in the room. The doors are locked again. And what's interesting to me is it doesn't sound like a prayer meeting. Neither of those times were people gathered together to say, Lord, speak to us, comfort us, come to us. And in the middle of that fear again, Jesus appears. This again says to me, the mission is God's mission. The initiative always comes from God. God steps in before people make the request for him to come. God's already at work. And so in the midst of that fearful place, here he is again. In verse 26, the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. 
again. I'm sure there was a shock. How did he get in again? I can't explain the resurrected body thing. I don't understand it. But he's right there in the flesh. And then he turns to Thomas, answering the questions that he knew Thomas needed to have answers for. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In fact, Thomas said, if I can just see the marks in his hands. But Jesus said, no, I want you to touch me. I want you to get really close here. Get as close as you can be. In fact, in uh, the NIV, it's, it's a, a poor translation, stop doubting and believe. It just says, stop unbelieving and believe. Jesus doesn't condemn him for doubting or for having questions. And this gives me hope. Doubters are not demeaned. It seems like God chooses a lot of people who doubted him throughout the Bible. And they each were addressed in the way they needed to be addressed. Gideon got the fleeces. Abraham got a special flying torch thing that was a special covenant with him. Moses got Aaron to help him. People who doubted, God met their doubts where they needed to be. And Thomas knows the reality of the risen Lord at that moment and gives the shortest confession of what it means to be a Christian right there in verse 28. Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's all you need to do. My Lord and my God. Jesus says to him in verse 29, blessed, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is a word for us today. Jesus gives a promise. Two or three are gathered together. He's here right in the middle of us. We don't see him. But he's in a tangible way, even more than the physical, which was what he was trying to say to Mary Magdalene at that morning. I can't just stay with you physically. I'll be more intimately part of your life when I'm gone because you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit. Thomas's confession changed him radically. And we are the twin of Thomas. The Christian tradition says that from this moment, Thomas was changed and he moved to Syria. And the year 52, he traveled to southern India. And there he met with the dispersed tribes of Israel, Jews who had settled in southern Asia. And he began to evangelize and a church developed there. And Gretchen, if you can show that slide. In the year 1972, the government of India commemorated a special commemoratory stamp, postage stamp. Remember postage stamps? Okay, this was for letters that you put in the mail. And they made this stamp to commemorate the 1900th, 1900th anniversary of the death of St. Thomas. And today, there is a church in southern India, the Mar Thomas Nazrani Church in Kerala, India, that traces its roots back to over 1,900 years to the work of this doubting man. The tradition says that he was killed by Hindu Brahmins who were jealous of his success. 
bringing people out of Hinduism. One of the lecture readings of today comes from the Psalms 118, and it says in verse 17, I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And I think this is the word of Thomas. This week, we remember the 50th anniversary of the murderous assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., And uh, 50 years ago, in the Covenant Companion, they published a little article of his last speech. And this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said the night before he was assassinated. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. And I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. One more slide, Gretchen. Tomorrow, uh, we will remember the death of another missionary who was also a five on the Enneagram, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you know the story of this German pastor, scholar, evangelist. At age 21, he completed his doctoral work, and it became the basis of his book later on, Life Together, a well-known study. When the Nazis came to power in 1933, Bonhoeffer recognized the danger of the Fuhrer cult, and and at age 29, he became the director of the illegal preaching seminary called the Confessing Church. A year later, in 1936, the Nazis banned him from preaching. After an extensive trip to America that year, he caught the last ship back to Germany before the war broke out, although he knew that the mission in Germany could cost him his life. In 1942, this scholar, this seminary professor, joined the circle that was planning Hitler's assassination. The intellectual had become a political conspirator. In April 1943, he was arrested and he spent two years in a concentration camp. And tomorrow, April 9th, marks the date when he was hanged in 1945 at age 39, the same age as Martin Luther King. In prison, Bonhoeffer wrote, not to do just anything, but to do what is right and to dare, not to float about in the possible, But to bravely seize the real, freedom is not in the flight of thoughts, but only in action. Move out of anxious hesitation into the storm of events, born only by God's commandment and your faith, and freedom will receive your spirit with exaltation. One final comment that I just want to share about this, because Jesus showed his scars to the disciples, and it was the scars that proved he was alive. 
I believe somehow in that resurrected body, the scars are still visible on Jesus. I don't know what that's going to mean for us in our resurrected body someday. But having the scars shows the process of what God has been doing in our life. As missionaries, sometimes we hide our scars and we hide our needs from the people we're serving as if we have no needs. And sometimes I think the church can fall into that trap that we should look good to each other and not show our scars. If you want your heart to be broken about the injustices of our political system this day, read Brian Stevenson's book called Just Mercy. Brian Stevenson started the organization called Equal Justice Initiative to give a voice to those on death row who had no advocates. And in his early days as an attorney, trying to get this organization started, he, he, he came across so many barriers that he just about gave up on this idea of having justice in our political prison system. And one evening, he was sharing his vision with a group of African-American church members, and one man sat in a wheelchair staring at him the whole time. And this was in the early 1980s. At the end of the talk, this man's grandson wheeled him up to the front of the church, and he said to Brian, Do you see this mark on my back here? That's where they beat me. Do you see this mark on my arm? This is where the dogs attacked me. And he showed him other wounds and scars from his fight in the civil rights movement in Birmingham, his hometown. He said, to other people, these are scars, but to me, these, is, these are badges of honor. Somehow, God takes those tragic events of our life and makes them badges of honor for us if we will show them to each other, just like Jesus showed it to us. So this is my challenge for me on each day. How much of my scars am I willing to share? to do what God wants me to do. And I give you that challenge today. Let's pray together. Faithful God, the strength of all who believe and the hope of those who doubt, we thank you that you call us to faith and not to certainty. And we pray that you will remind us that you have faith in us, even when our heads and our hearts are full of questions. Thank you for the scars that you took on and changed to witness. Thank you for the badges of honor that you've put on our lives. May we be willing to use our scars for your purposes. May we who have not seen still have faith and so receive the fullness of Christ's promised blessing. We ask this in the name of Jesus who keeps coming back so that we can all poke and prod at his open wounds and no one need be left out. Amen.